Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Well, good morning, Covenant. Good to see you all this morning. If you're joining us from home, my name's Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to invite you to turn with me to the very last book of Scripture as we begin uh, the very last message in this series, The Return of the King. I hope you've enjoyed this. Revelation 7, while you're turning, I have some deep thanks to offer, and I think some of you do as well. You may have noticed coming in how gorgeous this campus is. We had a team of about 25 or 30 men and women out here just working themselves to the bone yesterday, and they made this campus gorgeous. Would you thank them for me um, and with me? Sometimes the church just has to come together and go, all right, let's get this done. So I want to thank Ron Garvin in particular for coordinating all of that and putting everybody in their place. Uh, the one thing we did not have was everybody showing up yesterday going, what do we do? And a leader going, I don't know. Uh, it was just very well organized. And for that matter, Covenant Sports football season began yesterday. Uh, had some great leadership on that as well. And, and so just for a first week of the season, it went incredibly well. I'm so grateful and excited to be with you uh, during this part of our church year as we move into the fall season together. And I'm excited to bring this message to you. There's, a, there's an old adage that says that getting there is half the fun. Have you heard that? How many of you believe that's true? Getting there is half the fun. How many of you say, no, the reason I break speed limits is I want to get there, right? And, and, and I will, I'll be honest with you, I waffle back and forth a good bit around that subject. But there are times, like for example, this summer when I thought, you know what? Getting there could not just be half the fun. It could be more than half the fun. Uh, and I was one of those people who invoked that old adage, the trip itself should be as enjoyable as the destination. That said, any of you who've ever been trapped in an airport or stuck on the side of the road due to either a delay or a breakdown or a flat tire, you know that's not always true. And we probably, I'll just go ahead and admit to you, came very close to having one of those experiences this past summer. We were planning on taking a big vacation. Our oldest just began his senior year in college. Yes, I am that old. And uh, we were assuming that, you know, next year, if, he's, if it's not an internship, he'll be off into the job market. And so by 2022, he may not be able to go with us. This could very well be the last summer where all five Rainies actually get to go somewhere together. And so I, I, I got Mrs. Rainey together and I said, let's just do something big. All right. Amy and I have had the privilege of traveling all over the world. I've been on five continents, but even in our own country, um, my wife had not been until this summer any further west than Fort Worth, Texas. And so we started thinking about the trip and the destination. And we picked Las Vegas because from there you can go to Southern California, you can go to the Grand Canyon, you can go to Hoover Dam. And, and we did a lot of that kind of stuff. We traveled all over and it really was a wonderful trip. But when we started planning the trip, I was excited about the trip just as the destination. See, something happened. I started having these really sweet memories of when I was a child, right after my grandfather passed away, and our entire family got in a station wagon. This is 1978, and we traveled 8,000 miles. 
over a three-week period. Now, the reason I have sweet memories of that, my father tells me, is because I was six. My father's memories of this are not quite so sweet. And yet I thought to myself, you know what? I, there's just something that sounds fun about that. And so I'm building all this stuff up in my head. Ladies, I don't know if your husband does this, but if he does, it's completely normal because I do it, right? I think all this stuff up, but I'm not communicating with my wife because, I don't know, we're just bad at that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, I just dump this on her. Hey, baby, let's rent an RV. Yeah, that didn't fall on the, the other women in this room either all that well. She, she's trying to be very respectful, very like she don't want to pop my balloon, but at the same time, she's like, sweetheart, I don't think that's such a good idea. But I've already been thinking through this, right? In my own mind, I know what this is going to be like. Did y'all know before that conversation ended, it escalated? And before we got done, that woman referred to me, to me, as Clark W. Griswold. She, she's like, this is what, you, you build all these things up in your mind, and this is what's going to happen, and then it doesn't end up being right. And so I'm thinking, okay, whatever, you know, and, and so we, didn't just, we just didn't talk about it for a couple weeks. And a few weeks later, two of our dearest friends in this area are sitting on our deck together, and I thought, here's my opportunity. I said, hey, I need y'all to convince my wife that something is a really good idea that I think is a really, is, is a really good idea. She doesn't like it. She doesn't want to do it. She's never RV'd across America. I think it'd be awesome. And I start, uh, you know, just kind of describing all the things I wanted to do. And before I got done, the husband, the man, this dude that's this, he's supposed to be my friend, he, he looked at me and he said, yeah, that's the most horrible idea I've ever heard of in my entire life. Joel, there are these things called airplanes. You need to get on one, right? And, and that whole conversation was governed by this concern. The destination might not be worth the trip, right? Like, do you go, are you going to Berkeley Springs today or are you not? Because it's 45 minutes to get up there, right? Are you going to Frederick tonight for dinner or are you not? Because it's another 45 minutes to get there. Is the destination worth the trip? And so this last message in this series, The Return of the King, we've talked a lot about the destination, but we've also, have we not, talked a lot about the trip. And we've heard some not-so-nice things about that trip from the prophets, from the apostles, from, from Jesus himself has, has warned us that the parts of this trip are going to be difficult. Many of us have experienced those difficulties, and as culture continues to shift, as, as cultures will do, different challenges present themselves, and, and, and we've borne witness, have we not, to individuals, including a lot of preachers, who decide either to turn back or to turn away. By that I mean they either turn away, they either move their focus from the gospel and from the building of the kingdom, and from loving God and loving your neighbor to some other kind of agenda, or they just out and out quit. They just stop being ministers and sometimes even Christian altogether. Because what they've done is they've determined that the destination is not worth the trip. The $10 word that we use for, for that now is, is called deconstruction. Have you heard that? They've, they've deconstructed. They, they've pulled apart everything they thought they believed, and now they no longer believe it anymore. Now, let's, not, let's be fair to deconstruction. Sometimes it can be a good thing. Sometimes there are things reinforced from your childhood or from earlier teaching. It turns out not to be true. And if there are things that turn out not to be true, the Lord would have you reject them because he is truth. Amen? 
So, so that's not all a bad thing. Something's held you back in your relationship with Jesus. But when deconstruction leads to deconversion, that's another person just saying the destination is not worth the trip. And so this morning from Revelation 7, I just want to challenge that notion. Because tribulation and trouble is likely in your future and mine, if you haven't already uh, dealt with it in your past. And as we push through these trials of life, and, and, and life sends all kinds of things in our way, many, many of those things are not pleasant. There's going to be some tempting detours for us. Offers to exchange the gospel for something else. Maybe it's money or power or, or pleasure or even just a little bit of temporary peace. And in this part of the Revelation of John, remembering, as I've, as I've shared with you, this book is not written in chronological order. So it's not this thing happens and then this thing happens. John is actually talking about a series of revelations, unveilings that God is revealing to him. And so understanding that it's not in chronological order will help us understand why we see a picture of the end in chapter 7. Okay? This is one of those places where God pulls back the veil and he says, here's the end and here's what we're going to find. Even if you have to take an RV, it's worth it. Even if the roads are rough, no matter how high the price, this destination that we're going to look at today, it is worth every sacrifice. It's worth every demand that has been made of us that we've read in the scriptures throughout this series. And I want you to see four reasons why, beginning with this one. In this picture, you, me, all of us, you will belong. You will belong. Look at verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So this is the final fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. And we see a number of things here. First of all, nobody can number these people. Mathematics fails at sizing them up. And that, brothers and sisters, is a measure of the grace of God. It's a measure of the grace of God. See, Scripture tells us no one's righteous. No one seeks after God. No one deserves this, which means if God were perfectly just, there would be zero people in this picture. You would not make it. I would not make it. Nobody makes it. But the grace of God is just as immeasurable as the size of this crowd. He says, I saw a number that no man could count. And then we see it's that no one is left out of this crowd. Anybody ever get picked last in elementary school, middle school, kickball, baseball, whatever? Anybody ever get cut from the team? You felt left out, right? Everybody is included here. And he begins with this word nation, which is the Greek term ethnos. We get our word ethnic from it, so it's not talking about a, a sovereign nation like the United States or the Ukraine or some, some place with a border and a, a body of law and perhaps a military to guard it. We're, we're talking about an ethnic group. Now that hits home, doesn't it? It hits home. Even today, we struggle with all kinds of issues. It's like, it's like this, this country has had an issue with race, and it's come in waves year after year after year, and decade after decade after decade, and, and, and we struggle with those things. And where there is not overt racism, and so much of that, thank God, has, has gone the way of the dinosaur, but we still have this division. People that look like your pastor going, when are we going to get past this and finally get to a place where we don't have to talk about it anymore? My brothers and sisters of color saying, when are people who don't look like me finally going to understand? what I'm dealing with, and it just doesn't seem like there's a path through this. And one of the things that we see here 
even though we can't seem to ever put it to bed, is that in the end, this will no longer be a problem. We will worship together. Every ethnic group, every nation, every tribe. Now, if, if nation refers to your skin color, tribe refers to your affinity. Today, we would call these subcultures, all right? Bikers, hip-hop, punks and skaters, gamers, Trekkies, NASCAR fans, water ballet, you know, whatever you're into, right? I, I've, got a, I've got an affinity, and, and this is what I want to do, right? And then there's peoples. This refers to nationalities. And so you have a nation like the United States, and within that nation, you've got a lot of nationalities. My Turkish friends over in that republic, they all have Turkic heritage, but with that nationality is a diversity of identities, Kurdish, Albanian, Arab, Armenian, even here in the United States, I'm mostly Scottish. I'm 13% Cherokee Indian. My wife has some Native American, along with some Irish, which Irish and Scottish probably explains a lot of our arguments, right? So you've got all of these different personalities. And so people of different ethnic descent who have found themselves in common community. And then the last thing we see, the last distinction is languages. These are dialects. Every means of verbal communication that's ever been uttered in the world is represented here. I'm sometimes asked the question, what language are we going to speak in heaven? And my answer is all of them. We will speak all of them. And here's what I want you to notice, guys. There's one modifier that describes every one of these distinctions. You ready? It's the word all. It's the word all. Everybody. One body of Christ. I want you to see a couple of things here. And the first is this. This is why these identities matter. Race matters. Language matters. Culture matters. Those should be respected. Listen, I get that identity politics can be a problem. I get that there are narratives that everything is about oppressor and oppressed. That is not helpful to the conversation at all. I understand that. But let me tell you what else is not helpful to the conversation. The phrase, I don't see color. You know why it's not helpful? Because God sees color. You should see everything God sees. You should appreciate and love everything that God has created. He created it. He, through his servant John, highlights it here. But the other thing we see is that identity, as important as it is, is not the most important thing. Our ultimate identity cannot be in the language we speak or our cultural heritage or our skin color. And so when we come into the church and we say there's a place for everybody, that has to be more than just a plaque on our wall. Our behavior, the way we lean into each other for unity under the gospel should drive the fact that we, and should demonstrate the fact that we believe these things. Church isn't supposed to be a place where I'm always coming in and gathering around only people who are just like me. Church is the place where we dive deep into the lives of others who are different from us because if we really belong to Jesus, we're going to spend eternity with those people. And in doing that, we're pushing each other toward the end that's being described here. And in that end, this is the greatest news in the world, everybody belongs not because we're all the same color, not because we speak the same language, not because we voted for the same candidates, not because we have the same interests, not even because we, we like each other all the time, all right? But because in that radical diversity, we bear witness to the glory of God because we find our commonality in the righteousness of Jesus, that's what's illustrated in the white robes that they're wearing, 
and our unity and our victory over sin and death by the grace of God. That's what's illustrated by the palm branches. Now, when you listen to a choir sing or you listen to an orchestra play, if it's a, if it's a typical piece, it, it typically starts out in unison, doesn't it? Everybody's playing exactly the same notes, and it's peaceful, and it's kind of the, the volume's a little lower, and you're sitting there in the, in the concert hall or in the outdoor amphitheater venue, wherever you are, and you're like, this is nice, right? It's setting you at ease, and you're starting to emotionally kind of connect with the art that's being displayed for you. But then the piece starts to build, and those various voices and instruments, they start to depart from each other. Now, they're not doing that because everybody's doing their own thing. That's called a sixth-grade band, okay? They're not doing that. Everybody's not doing their own thing. They're doing it because each has a distinct identity and a role that without those individual things fails to bring out the beauty of the whole. In other words, a choir that sings in parts is far more beautiful and glorious than a choir that always sings in unison. And this choir... This choir, with every ethnic, every cultural, every linguistic distinction in the world, sings together the following words. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, this destination is worth the trip. It's worth pushing through to find commonality. It's worth pushing through and finding our unity in the foot of the cross because there's a place in that choir for you. Which means it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. There's a place for you around the throne of God. You and I will belong, and in that belonging, we will worship. We will worship the Lord together in a way that we simply cannot do here. Look at verse 11. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. Worship, by definition, is not merely about the elements, okay? It's not, it's not about primarily about music or incense or responsive readings or even what I'm doing, Scripture reading and, and preaching. Those are the elements of Scripture. Many of them are outlined in Scripture and highlighted, and we're commanded to do them, and they're incredibly important. But the heart of worship is an extreme form of love and affection that produces unquestioned devotion to God. And that's what we see here. We see blessing. The Greek term is eulogia. We get our word eulogy from it. What do you do at a eulogy? You speak well of the deceased, right? Or at least you try to, depending on who they were. And so to bless God is to speak well of him. And we speak of his glory, that's his honor derived from his pure character, his wisdom, his perfect means and plans. We express constant and eternal thanksgiving, gratitude to him. God, we owe you and we will owe you forever. We ascribe honor to him, which is another way of saying we revere him. Your power to achieve all of your plans and your might that you will be successful in all of these things. And it's bookended. All of this is bookended at the beginning and the end with this phrase that, that, that Pastor Dave and I pronounce very, very differently because we're from different parts of the country. And so he's from Maine, and so he knows how to speak properly. He said, amen. I'm a southern boy. We say amen, right? Either way, what are we talking about here? Amen 
Some of our Middle Eastern brothers and sisters, Amin, it's pronounced differently, but what does it mean? It means, so be it, this is the truth from the beginning and the end. And, and, and this is exclaimed by all the angels of heaven, by the 24 elders that were first introduced to in chapter 4. No one's entirely sure of their identity, but what's obvious is that they form some sort of divine court and the four living creatures. Now, we have not covered Revelation 4, so let's back up just a moment and let's be reminded of who these four living creatures represent. Revelation 4, beginning in verse 7. They are full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, these sorts of apocalyptic visions are also found in Old Testament books like Isaiah and Ezekiel. Most likely what we're looking at here is a transcendent apocalyptic vision of the entire created order. I think one of the things John is giving us here in this vision is a heavenly description of every living thing that has ever lived. Did y'all know they're trying to bring back the woolly mammoth? All right. We're, I don't know about all that. I don't know about the ethics of that. I just, I just read that the other day and I thought, oh, geez, great. Something else to confuse us all. Something else we can fight about. Wonderful. Well, whether they bring that woolly thing back or not, apparently there's some representation of it in the heavenlies. And when I read that passage, I remember that Jesus once told the Pharisees in response to their grumbling at the worship that people gave him at his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He said the following in Luke 19, 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It's, it's, that's what we see a reality pulled back for us in Revelation 4, that from the very beginning of creation up until this moment and all the way up until the coming of Jesus and beyond when it will be done perfectly for all eternity, there has always been something or someone worshiping God. God has seen to it that that's the case because he deserves it and he's going to see that he gets what is his. You're like, that sounds awfully self-centered. Well, if you're God, it's right to be self-centered, okay? He deserves it. Paul tells us in the end, in Philippians chapter 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here in Revelation, Jesus communicates through John a vision of what that moment's going to look like. Every angel in the heavens Every persevering saint that has makes up this divine court around the throne of God, every nation and race, every people, every language, every created thing that has ever crawled or ran or swam or flown will join together to give our God what is rightfully his, all to the glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might of our God. And that's what we're supposed to emulate now. That's a little hard to do, don't you think? But our worship is like our service. Every once in a while, we sense the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in overwhelming ways, don't we? Sometimes we're gathered. It is. It is, it is phenomenal. It is wonderful. You are never the same. We, we experience that on occasion, but because this is earth and not heaven, 
those beautiful transformative moments are not as frequent as we'd like them to be. And so there's a temptation in those moments to either, on the one hand, settle for boring worship, which is dry and rote, and really there's no sense of expectation into it, or on the other extreme, we try to artificially manufacture the experience, chin-tickling in the more radical elements of the charismatic movement priming the pump with loud music and fog machines and repeating phrases over and over, whipping ourselves into an emotional frenzy, which, by the way, Jesus told us in Matthew 6 is actually a pagan, not a Christian practice. And here's the thing. Sometimes you're going to come to church and you're going to go, I got nothing out of that. That's going to happen. Tony Evans put it this way. He said, people come to church expecting Alka-Seltzer and what they get is a multivitamin. Alka-Seltzer, at least when you plop it, I mean, I, I think Alka-Seltzer is nasty, right? But at least when you plop it into the glass, you can see some effort, right? There's something, there's something tangible here, right? And sometimes you get tangible stuff. Most of the time, this Sunday to Sunday stuff that the Lord commands that you do and tells you, you're not going to grow and mature in your faith unless you're part of a regular local church and you're like, but I just don't feel it. Well, it's, it's the same thing when your doctor tells you to take a multivitamin. You don't feel that either. Three months in, you're like, I'm spending 30 bucks a month on this bottle of stuff, and I don't think it's doing anything for me. And then cold and flu, and now COVID season comes along, and you're like, wow, maybe it did something after all. I'm now ready for something that I didn't anticipate. That's what worship on this earth is. Sometimes you just don't feel like coming. I wonder how many... Hey, if this is you, by the way, on the other side of that camera, I love you. I'm not judging you, but I do wonder how many of you woke up this morning and said, I just don't feel like coming, and that's why you're still in your PJs right now, right? I mean, I've been there, and I'm the pastor, okay? I get it. I get it. I just don't, don't feel it. Sometimes you lose what little religion you have just trying to get the kids ready. I understand that. And then on occasion, we gather, and God shows up powerfully. And you find out that neither Pastor Joel nor anybody in this room has the power of turning that spigot on and off. There's one who has his hand on that knob, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And he sovereignly decides when we get to experience that. But thank God, every once in a while, he turns the spigot on. And when he does, we get a little taste of what we're reading about here. In this world, worship, like everything else we're going to do in life, will be a process of success and failure, of running and stumbling. Those efforts are a part of the trip toward the destination of a worship experience that is perfect, that involves every living thing in all of creation, and that will overwhelm us for every moment of eternity. What you're doing right now, it's the rehearsal. Ask Pastor Ken. Rehearsal on Thursday night often does not sound like what you just heard before I got up to preach, right? This is the rehearsal. But we're told in this picture it's worth the trip because you're going to belong. You will worship. Number three, you will remember. Verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. One of the elders comes up to John 
who's obviously overwhelmed as any normal person would be, and he says, you know what you're looking at? And John says, not really. And then the elder explains it, because as we said at the outset of this series, the main things are the plain things. And the elder is about to tell us what is both plain and main. He says, of this group, they have come out of great tribulation. They made it. They made it. That's a statement of perseverance, guys. That's a statement that just reiterates what we're told in both testaments of our Bible, that those who genuinely belong to Jesus will not fall away. They will persevere to the end by the grace of God. If you really belong to Jesus, you're going to make it. There's a finish line in your future, and you, by his grace, are going to cross it. Just as sure as I'm standing here, that moment is coming. It's coming. All of the collective affliction, oppression, and trouble that the world can throw at us and did throw at these people did not keep them from that destination. And here's the thing, you're going to remember that. That's what we're told here. They have come out of great tribulation. John now knows their story. This elder knows their story. No doubt these saints who are now worshiping before the throne, they know their story. You know, it's one thing to appreciate good health. It's one thing to be a guy like me who can say, by God's grace, that the last time I was a patient in a hospital was in 1972 on the day I was born. I, I thank God for that. It's quite another thing to be folks, and many of you I, that I'm aware of, of, more so than I have been in the last 18 months because of your medical histories and things like that, that it's, it's quite another thing to suffer a, a horrible bout with cancer and then come out of that. Or to finally get your meds right. You got your, your, there's, there's chronic pain or there's something else going on and you and your doctor have been working and you've basically been a lab rat for like six months and finally all the combinations fit and your health comes back. You wake up one morning and you go, oh, thank God, I feel so much better. I feel younger. I, I, I feel, you know, it's different. You're more thankful for what you have when you've had to struggle with it and when on occasion you've lost it. It's one thing to be blessed financially have all your bills paid. It's another thing to land a job after a long period of unemployment and uncertainty and eviction notices or who knows what you've been dealing with for you and your family. There's something about remembering when you were worse off that makes you more thankful for the present. And John tells us here that when we get to heaven, we're going to remember what we came through to get there. And we're going to remember how we got there. Look at verse 14. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's how we make it. Throughout Revelation, John, every single time, by the way, there is a picture of victory for God's people. The source is exactly the same, the blood of the Lamb. That's it. Because when Jesus saves you, he seals you. And God seals his people to preserve them through everything that life throws at them. And God makes it so that even if they are killed, they overcome because they never stopped trusting Jesus. Corey Ten Boom was a Holocaust survivor and a protector of Jews during that time. I love this quote from her. The blood of Jesus has great power. There is perhaps not a phrase in the Bible that is so full of secret truth as is the blood of Jesus. Now, let's be careful here. Let's not go pagan with this. 
The blood of Jesus is not a mantra you repeat when you want to get your way. It's not something you plead in front of the throne of God because, he said, because his sovereign will is for you to go down option B and you wanted option A, and so you're going to plead the blood of Jesus. That's not what's being described here. That's more of that prime, the pump, repeat myself over and over again. Go back and read Matthew 6. That's not Christian. That's pagan. The blood of Jesus is already there. It's not an agent that needs activation, brothers and sisters. It doesn't need it. It is sufficient all on its own to accomplish God's sovereign plan in your life, particularly that salvific plan. He seals you. He seals you. And those of us who make it to this moment are going to remember where we came from. We're going to remember every trial and every trouble. We're going to remember how we made it through, and we're going to remember who brought us through it. So that's the question. Who are you trusting in? Do you really believe this stuff? I mentioned this last week. People are like, well, I believe the Bible. Well, okay, live like it. Live like it. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let people see you live a radically different kind of life than the people who gather around you on a week-to-week basis. Let them see that. And then we'll know you believe it because you don't act like this. You don't do the things that we've been challenged to do in this series unless you really believe Jesus is coming back. Do you really believe? You will remember. You will worship. You will belong. Here's the final thing I want you to see. You will live forever. Look at verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and shall serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You and I will exist forever. Somewhere. For the saints who put their faith in Christ... God has brought about a born-again experience in their life. They're a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. This is your end. Day and night in his temple, in the presence of God and each other. Now, let me address something here because some people read that and they go, that sounds kind of boring because you Netflix binged shows like The Good Place and, and you got this horrible theology in your head now because you, you're thinking like, right, does anybody, do you all know that show? I watch horrible stuff like that because it makes me laugh. Um, and even the writers of the show, they know they're making it all up. It's all a comedy thing. But right at, right at the end of the series, you know, they're, they're finally, finally got everything worked out. Everything's resolved. Everybody, they're finally in the good place, right? So they're all up in heaven. It's perfect. And then, but then they start, they start feeling angst. And, and that's really what it's around. It's kind of boring here. It's like, is this going to be it for all of eternity? I mean, maybe, maybe it would be preferable if I just ceased to exist. And the, the final two episodes of that series are actually pretty sad because the people one by one begin to act that out. And they go completely out of existence. And, and again, it, it's behind all that is this static view of heaven that's just not very attractive at all. And it does not match in any way the environment that John is describing here, all right? No lack of provision, number one. No more hunger, no more thirst. There's a reference to the scorching sun here that probably not as familiar to us, would have been very familiar to 
the first century people living in the desert. Yeah, no more provision. What do you, what do you fear that you might lack one day? Think about that for a minute. Everybody's got something, right? I know some of you are like, well, I don't do that. I don't live in fear. Yeah, you super spiritual. Come back when you're real, right? Every one of us has something. We may struggle at different levels. You might be a, one of these super duper people that doesn't give into it often. But every once in a while, every one of us gives into some kind of fear because we're still human and we still need the grace of God. All right. For some of you, it may be, I'm afraid I'm going to run out of money. For some of you, I, I, no shelter. I don't, I don't want a, a shelter over my head. For, for some of you, it, it might be housing, food, losing a loved one. You've got somebody you're hanging on tight to, and you're just like, I just don't know what. I, I don't think I could make it if I ever lost that person. Some of you are looking around at the culture, and you wonder, what's going to happen to your country? That's not an illegitimate concern. And you go, man, in the middle of all this, it's my greatest fear so, so for some of you, it might be political. Mine is disability. It, it has been for, for most of my adult life. And by God's grace, I don't fear it near as much as I used to. Actuarially, I'm a lot older. Maybe I should now, you know, but, but I don't. I, I, the, Lord's, the Lord's helped me to come along, but every once in a while, and it comes at the weirdest times, doesn't it? Like that, the fear hits you. You're laying in bed, and you wake up at 2 a.m., and then you can't go back to sleep because it's on your mind, and you're like, oh, great, right? And, it's, and, it's, and, and so for, for you, whatever it might be, but for me, it, that's been what it is. Something is going to attack my physical body, keep me from working, keep me from doing what I love to do, and most often, the, the most frightening thing about that, keep me from providing for the people that I love. And on occasion, it just, it just pops up, doesn't it? But this isn't the present. This is the end. And in the end, for God's people, none of that ever gets taken away, ever again. There's no more lack. Secondly, there's no more sadness. God will wipe away every tear. We've shed a lot of tears, haven't we? No more of that. No more melancholy. No more angst. No more experiencing the effects of the sin curse that we've all had to live with. And here's why. Because the lamb in the midst of the throne will be forever our shepherd. In two weeks, we're going to start a, a nine-week series on the 23rd Psalm in the middle of whatever the world has thrown and may throw at us in the future. One of the things that we see there in the most, perhaps the most famous poem in the Western world is David saying, whatever's going on around me, I'm living at peace. And it's just constant. You can't make my blood pressure go up. You can't make it. There's nothing external going on on the outside of me that's going to affect the way I feel. And one of the things we're going to learn in, the, in that fall series is that there is no better, no more perfect, no more reliable shepherd than Jesus. Isaiah 25 verse 8 says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. This is what this means for you if you follow Jesus. It means that you are eternally invincible. Invincible. Not because of you. Not because of the strength of your faith. Go back and read Ephesians chapter 2. Even that was a gift from God. It's not, it's not endemic to you. You don't have that. I don't either. 
You are invincible because God has sealed his people. You are invincible because of the promise of Jesus that no one will ever snatch you out of the Father's hand, which means as we look to the future, no matter what we are going through, we can say the following with Paul. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Don't slow down long enough, pay attention to that one, okay? The parts that we put on a coffee cup often exclude that part. What's being said here? It's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be deadly to serve Jesus. Sometimes it's going to come at a great cost. Great cost. Sheep to be slaughtered. How do we feel in the midst of that environment? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure. How would you like to feel that way? To be in the midst, I mean, would you rather be at relative peace with all of the angst and the melancholy and all that other crap that you so often feel? Or would you rather be in the middle, even facing imminent and certain death, and feeling like this? I am sure neither death nor life nor angels or rulers or things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can live that way. You can live that way. Paul wrote words like this in prison for crying out loud. You can live this way. We have absolutely no promise that we will avoid tribulation and trouble. None. We have no assurance of any sure foundation in this world. And the older I get and the longer I live and the more I read the Bible, the more convinced I become that God does that for us because it is necessary because we are so prone to latch our wagon to something that's temporary, to something that's going to die. We don't have assurance of that. The biblical actuarial seems to indicate that the chances that you're going to face hardship, sickness, conflict, loss, eventually death. The rate, by the way, is still one per person. This next week, might end up being the worst week of your entire life. And you don't even know when it's coming. Don't deconstruct when those moments come. Don't start down the middle road of, is God really trustworthy? Can he really be counted on? Is faith really true? Do not deconvert. You hang on and you believe the king is coming. And this picture of the end tells us that that destination is worth the trip. Yeah, it's, it's, there's something I've done recently by the counsel of a fellow pastor. and I, uh, Just something I noticed I used to do around here a lot. I would come out even when I would get ready to preach and I would go, how you doing this morning? How you feeling this morning? It hit me all of a sudden several weeks back. If people were honest, some of them might go, pretty crappy pastor how about you like yeah my spouse just died how about you how you doing how's your day going 
We, we have this sort of frivolous, you know, and I'm from the South, so we're supposed to be polite, right? I'm supposed to ask your mama how she's doing, even if I don't care how she's doing, right? That's, that's the culture I came in, that I came out of. And so, and so we're, we're supposed to ask that stuff. But here, here's what I, I see, especially when I look at texts like this. What if you did look up at me and go, it's been the worst week of my entire life and I didn't even know it was coming. So my pastoral practice needs to repent a little bit and change here. Because if, if it's all about how you feel, then we expect that it's always supposed to feel good. That this place even is always supposed to feel good. I don't know where that came from, but, but that's kind of the, the notion. This is when, so then we start drumming up, whipping up, doing all kinds of stuff, substituting for the actual power and presence of the Holy Spirit because we think we're supposed to feel good. And for those who still don't get there, we walk out feeling inadequate, feeling like there's something wrong with us. So unless, again, ADHD, so forgive me if I do it again, but I will try to never again ask you from this pulpit how you're feeling, but I am going to ask you this. Regardless of what you're doing, what, what you're going through, what you're facing, what do you know to be true? What do you know? I'm going to tell you what I know. The king is coming. Whatever ails you right now is coming to an end. And I'm going to plead with you this morning to come to him so that that future can be yours. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for words of comfort. We thank you, Lord, that it is what we know and not how we feel that can and often will determine the course of our lives, our own disposition toward others, whether we will even obey in loving God and loving our neighbor. Until we see you, Lord, we pray you make us faithful in that. And if there's someone here this morning or someone watching from home that does not have that assurance, Lord, may the day be the day that you convict them of their sin and bring them to understand their need for Jesus, this soon coming King. Glorify yourself in this moment of response, Lord, as your spirit moves. And Lord, you, you could cho choose to show up powerfully. It is entirely up to you. But Holy Spirit, we confess whether or not there are tangible evidences. We know you are here. Do your sovereign will and glorify yourself as we submit to your will and do it joyfully. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi everybody, Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at nine o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. 
Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.